Thanks, Sam, and good morning to everyone there at home. Uh, my name's Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here at Nara Baptist Church, and it's my privilege to be uh, bringing God's Word to you this morning. I know that many of us were eagerly anticipating the announcement this week that perhaps we might be released from stay-at-home orders, and I know that uh, many of us are feeling a little disappointed, obviously with active cases down here in the Shoalhaven at the moment. It looks as though we're going to be gathering together online um, in this way for some weeks. So friends, let me urge you, as I did a couple of weeks ago, to remain strong in your spiritual disciplines, to be spending time each day reading God's Word and in prayer. We praise God, as we've reflected on this morning, that we can bring our thoughts and our fears before him, knowing that he's a good and loving God with broad shoulders, ready to hear our prayers and ease our anxieties. And let me also urge you, brothers and sisters, to continue reaching out and connecting and encouraging with each other. If you're not sure who to call or message, just take our church directory. This, is, this isn't the way to study the Bible, but it's a good way to reach out. Just flick to a random page and maybe few choose a few people to, to call and connect with and encourage. It's been great to hear how some of us have been doing that over the last few weeks, and let me urge you to continue to that end as we walk through this season together. I wonder, how many of us watching this morning are pain avoiders? You know what I mean. That, 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 that back pain has got to get unbearable before you go to the physio. Yes, I am thinking of you, Ron. That infection needs to get life, if not limb-threatening, before you go to the doctor. And by golly, does, does that tooth pain need to get unbearable before you'll go through root canal at the dentist? I suspect that that's probably the case for many of us. And it's not just the thought of having to pay someone to inflict pain on us, is it? It's just that generally we hate pain. We try to avoid it at all costs. David Williams, who heads up the training of missionaries with CMS down in Melbourne, wrote a series of fascinating articles back in 2018. In these articles for the Gospel Coalition Australia, he suggests that the dominant worldview in our culture today is now one of avoiding pain and pursuing pleasure. In a pain-pleasure worldview, he says, you make decisions based on what feels good to you and what makes you happy. Your identity is that of a pleasure seeker and a pain avoider. When you think about it, that is the mentality of our world, isn't it? Life's all about pursuing pleasure. If you're not enjoying something, well, don't do it. Find something else to do. Avoid pain at all costs. A mindset which makes what Peter has to say to us today very hard for us to hear. Because, friends, what we're going to study from God's Word today challenges the way that we're told to think. It runs very much counter to our pain avoidance worldview. 
If you're a follower of Jesus, Peter says, you're going to face a world of pain, suffering that you can't, and in fact that you shouldn't avoid. Throughout his letter to these first century believers, Peter's reminded them that they are different, that they're exiles, strangers, aliens in this world. And this new identity that they have in Jesus doesn't just change the way that they live, but also the way that they suffer. And the cost of faith for these believers had been high. They'd been slandered and disparaged. As we saw last week, there was social discrimination. They were perhaps ostracized from family and friends, made the scapegoat for every problem in society. We can only piece together some of what they were experiencing. And throughout this letter, Peter's shown them how they should live in response. He's urged them to live such outstanding lives that their good deeds would ultimately silence false accusations that even if they were to suffer for doing good, they would never to return evil for evil. And here in this final section of his letter, Peter revisits and expands upon some of what he's touched on earlier. So if when Sam was reading a moment or two ago, you thought some of this feels familiar, you were right. Now friends, there's something that we need to be clear on right at the start of our time together today. When, when Peter speaks of suffering here in this passage, he's not talking about the normal challenges of life that we all face. You know, bad backs, tooth pain, that kind of thing. Nor is he speaking about the consequences that we face for poor life decisions or our sin. No, what he's talking about here today is the suffering that we experience because we are followers of Jesus. And so as we work through this passage today, please remember when I use the word suffering or hardship or persecution, I'm I'm not talking about the normal hardships of life or the consequences of our sin, but the suffering and the opposition and the persecution we face because we've given our lives to Christ. It's suffering for the name of Jesus that's in view. And brothers and sisters, a huge but often neglected part of our discipleship is to learn how to suffer well. It's actually a key part of the Christian life, to to learn how to suffer well. None of us are, are born with that innate capacity. We need to learn how to do it. And And here in this passage today, Peter lays out for us four great principles for how we should respond to suffering. And the first is there in verse 12. I I hope you had the chance to print out your sermon handout before this morning. Don't be surprised, he says. Don't be surprised. Let's read verse 12 again. This is 1 Peter 4, verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Peter couldn't really be more upfront about the reality of suffering in the Christian life, could he? It's not hidden in the small print, it's, it's front and centre. 
Don't be surprised when you're attacked or slandered for the name of Jesus, he says. No, don't be surprised. Expect it. And so, my brother, my sister, here in the 21st century living in the Shoalhaven, don't be surprised when you're mocked for your faith at work or at school. Don't be surprised when you're singled out for being a follower of Jesus. Don't be surprised when you're overlooked for that job or that promotion because Jesus is number one, not the job. Don't be surprised when, and I know this is reality for some of us, when you find yourselves on the outer of your family network because you put Jesus number one. Don't be surprised when you suffer trials. Jesus said it was going to happen. In this world, you will have trouble, Jesus said in John 16, 33. In fact, the scriptures present that that suffering is the natural consequence of our union with Jesus. Just as Jesus suffered, so too will we as we follow in his footsteps. As Jesus himself said in John chapter 15, in verses 18 to 20. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, They will persecute you also. Friends, just as the world hated and persecuted Jesus, it will hate and persecute us too. The challenge, of course, particularly for us here in the 21st century, is that although we might intellectually agree with that, we might affirm that that's the case, the fact is persecution still comes as a shock to us, doesn't it? I think there's a few reasons for that. One's simple, it's where we started the sermon today. We hate pain, don't we? We hope that it never comes. Just like we hope that we're never going to have to go through root canal surgery at the dentist, we we equally hope that we're not going to have to suffer for Jesus. We just don't like pain. That's, That's natural. But I also think there's another couple of reasons why we find suffering a shock, things that we need to keep an eye out for. And one's the insidious impact of prosperity gospel teaching. I think we we underestimate this at our peril. This is what one of the proponents of that false gospel says. When you go through the day saying, I am blessed, blessings come looking for you. I am talented, talent comes looking for you. You may not feel up to par, but when you say, I am healthy, health starts heading your way. I am strong. Strength starts tracking you down. You're inviting those things into your life. Do you see how that false prosperity teaching is a cultural accommodation to the pain-pleasure worldview that we have today? It just has to be, doesn't it? Because it's the exact opposite of what the scriptures say. Our Lord told us that we should experience suffering, that we will experience suffering 
as his disciples. And I think there's a second key reason that we can be shocked when trials come. And Bruno touched on it earlier in his presentation. It's the fact that for centuries now, we in the Western church have lived in relative ease. Christianity has enjoyed, not necessarily used well, but enjoyed political and social influence. Really, the reality is a a bit of mild mocking is the worst that most of us face. Please see, that's, that's mere marginalisation. That's not persecution. We're cultural outsiders, perhaps, nothing more. But friends, I think we need to remember that, that this, our experience, is the exception in the history of the church, not the rule. Just look at the way Israel treated the prophets. Do you remember Jeremiah that we looked at in our morning series last year? When he stood opposed to Israel's corruption and idolatry, he was called a traitor, his writings were destroyed, and he was thrown down a pit, participating in the sufferings of Christ before his time. And friends, as Bruno reminded us this morning, that is the reality for many of our brothers and sisters throughout the world. Some of those statistics were sobering, weren't they? In 2019, one out of every eight Christians suffering severe persecution. As Bruno shared, I was thinking a bit about our church family and just how many of us would be reflected in that number. 245 million of our brothers and sisters in Christ suffering extreme persecution every year. But, because that's not our experience, we so easily forget, don't we? Don't be surprised when trials come, Peter says. No, instead, rejoice. Verse 13. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. I think we need to be clear about what Peter's saying here. Peter's not calling us to rejoice in the pain and suffering itself. No one likes being sad. But we're to rejoice in the fact that we participate in the sufferings of Christ. That in our suffering, we're identifying with his suffering. Now friends, whilst of course it's hard to be mocked, to be scorned, to have our characters assassinated or to to suffer physical persecution. Yet, in enduring this, in imitating him, we're like our saviour, the ultimate example of the innocent unjustly persecuted. Brothers and sisters, just like Jesus, we don't seek out persecution, but nor do we retreat from it. As Paul said in Philippians 3, Verses 9 and 10. Sorry, Philippians 3, verses 10 and 11. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. Notice he doesn't stop there. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. As we follow in Christ's footsteps in suffering, We 
resemble him more closely now. But notice, as both Paul and Peter say, when we suffer, we have the promise of sharing in his glory. Our suffering has a great finale. It enlarges our rejoicing when he returns in glory. Glory that will make up for our present distress. And so, friends, as we share in his suffering, we also share in his victory over death and the promise of eternal reward. All of which just turns our view of suffering on its head, doesn't it? As Peter says there in verse 14, we're, we're blessed, we're, we're blessed if we suffer for the sake of Jesus. Contrary to what we might think, blessing isn't found in the easy, the comfortable life, nor is it found in political majorities or influence in society. No, the blessed life is picking up the cross of Christ and following him. Peter uses exactly the same word here that Jesus did in the Beatitudes. Do you remember Jesus' promise of blessing in persecution at the end of the Beatitudes that we looked at last term? This is what Jesus said in Matthew 5, verses 10 and 11. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We have the hope of glory, the hope of reward before us, brothers and sisters, as we suffer. Now whilst there is no doubt blessing in persecution. Peter offers a caution for us here in verses 15 and 16. Because we need to make sure, friends, that we aren't suffering for the wrong reasons. Let me read those verses again. Back to 1 Peter now. 1 Peter 4, verses 15 and 16. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Because our sanctifications are work in progress, none of us are, are free from the entanglements of sin yet. Peter gives us an important caveat here. There's no blessing in suffering for doing wrong. There's no blessing in suffering for doing wrong. Friends, please forgive me for my directness here. But sometimes when we suffer as Christians, we're suffering not because we're Christians, but because we're obnoxious. Sometimes we're just experiencing the natural consequences of our sin. Sometimes in our efforts to to share the hope of the gospel with others, we can be rude and obnoxious and inconsiderate. And we don't get the response we're hoping for, not because people are rejecting the gospel, not because they're offended by the gospel, but because they're offended by us. Gee, let me tell you, I've done my fair share of that. Putting my foot in it. Jumping in to 
defend Christianity when all I've really done is jumping in to get on my high horse, failing to listen and to love well, failing to respond with grace and love as Christ calls us to. And so Peter reminds us here, if you suffer for being a meddler, a pest, thoughtless or rude, that's, that's not meritorious. That's not suffering for Jesus, friends. That's just being a bullhead. And so, whilst the reality of suffering for Jesus is very real, the fact is, as sinners, we, we need to do some self-examination to make sure that we aren't just suffering the consequences of our sin. And so I think when, when we suffer as Christians, we need to ask ourselves, what have I done to deserve this? What was it in, in my tone, in my words, my approach that might have elicited that response? We need to look down deep inside before we play the persecution card. When you think about it, that, that links back to what we saw in chapter 2 with Keith, doesn't it? That even when we're persecuted, we're to live lives that adorn the gospel. Even when we're persecuted, we're to respect governing authorities, to, we're to obey our masters, we're to love our enemies, guard our tongues, and never repay evil for evil, but evil with blessing. In suffering and persecution, friends, our holiness should shine the brightest. There's one final key principle here for us. We need to remember what God is doing. Remember what God is doing. Because God refines us in our suffering. Verse 17. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? At first reading, that seems a little bit harsh, doesn't it? Almost as if God gets some kind of pleasure by inflicting suffering on us. But it's not saying that at all. Do you remember what Peter said about God's purpose in trials back in chapter 1? This is chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Though now, for a little while, you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Trials prove and refine our faith. Just like impurities are removed from precious metals by the refining of fire. Do you remember Cole's great illustration from that TV show, Forged in Fire? Trials prove the genuineness of our faith. The word that's translated fiery there in verse 12, when Peter speaks of the fiery ordeals that have come on these believers, that's the root of the word pure. Trials show what we're made of. They reveal the purity inside. That's Peter's point here. Judgment starts with the church. God uses suffering to purify his church, to, to test our genuineness. You know, when you think about it, we actually see this in Peter himself, don't we? God used the refining fire of trial on the night that Jesus was betrayed. Even Peter's failure 
to refine Peter like gold. That, that same man who wasn't even able to stand up for Jesus before a servant girl became the man who would powerfully proclaim the gospel before thousands at Pentecost. God used Peter's trials to build him up, to refine him, to, to purify his commitment to Christ. And so, Peter says, a man who himself was acquainted with suffering, as we endure suffering, we need to keep the eternal perspective. As hard as suffering and refinement and testing is now, there's a different kind of judgment that awaits those who are outside of Christ. Better to be judged by God now for our good and his glory than for all eternity. And so, Peter says in verse 19, So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. To suffer for the sake of Jesus in obedience to Christ, is to suffer according to God's will. Glory awaits those who suffer in Jesus' name. So keep going. And friends, we do that just as Jesus did. We entrust ourselves to our faithful God. I just want you to notice, and I love this, Notice that Peter doesn't urge us to to push on in our own strength. He doesn't say, guys, dig deep, just just like an athlete. Look to those resources that you've got within. You can do this. No, he doesn't point us to our own strength. No, he points us to God. And he says, remember, God is faithful. We entrust ourselves to our faithful God, the one who is all-powerful and who has promised to sustain and deliver us. And so we continue to serve him every day of our lives, no matter how long and arduous they might be. We don't seek revenge or retaliate when we suffer. No, we cling to the hope of the resurrection. When the famed Antarctic explorer Ernest Shackleton was gathering together a team for his polar expedition at the start of the 20th century, he took out a newspaper advertisement with the following words. Men wanted for hazardous journey. Small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness. Safe return, doubtful. Honour and recognition in case of success. Despite the fact that no one was in doubt that the journey was going to be long, arduous and potentially fatal, 5,000 men applied. All of the hardships were in plain view in the advertisement. Shackleton wasn't interested in a a bait-and-switch approach, attracting people with a false view before the reality hit. No, he laid out right up front what was going to be required for the journey, as did our Lord. The pitfalls, the dangers, the opposition, the persecution that would come, he lays it out clearly. Following in the footsteps of our suffering and crucified Lord can only mean one thing. Being his disciple 
imitating him means suffering for him. Friends, I don't know what the future holds for us as believers here in Australia. It seems likely that antagonism to the gospel is going to grow. Cancel culture is going to seek to silence us. But you know what? That's going to provide us with opportunities. Because light shines brighter in the darkness. No doubt, as we're faithful to the gospel, we will face suffering and persecution. That's always been the lot of God's people throughout history. But as we experience this, my friends, we can be confident. Because unlike the men in Shackleton's party, for us believers, a safe return home is assured. And the wages are glorious and last for all of eternity. May we, as we suffer according to God's will, commit ourselves to our faithful creator and continue to do good. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the promises in your word. Lord, we need the promise of your faithfulness, of your character, as we seek to follow our suffering saviour. Lord, we confess that we are pain avoiders both in our normal lives and in following you. Too often we take the path of least resistance, the one that will generate the least opposition. But Lord, we can see that the cultural tide in our world is changing. And so Lord, we pray that you might strengthen us. For you are our faithful creator. We pray that you might fill us with your spirit, that we might endure whatever suffering and opposition and persecution that might come. We pray that you might help us to be those who suffer according to your will for doing good. Forgive us, Lord, and protect us from those moments where we suffer the consequences of our own sin, even when it's well-intentioned. Those moments where we seek to share the gospel, but we do so without love and grace as you have called us to. Help us, we pray, to be unswerving in our commitment to the truth, but yet to have words that are filled with grace, that are seasoned with salt, that adorn the gospel well. Lord, we confess that we are fearful of suffering, that the thought does not fill us with joy. But Lord, we know that that is what you have called us to. And so we pray that you might help us to continue to do good, whatever the cost, for the glory and sake of our Lord and Saviour, our King Jesus. Amen. Friends, John Newton 